Have you ever heard of a saying and you go, oh, I've heard that saying before, but you don't know where it comes from? We're going to come across to saying here in a moment uh, and see if you catch it. So uh, 100 years ago, at the 11th hour, there it is. Oh, I, I gave it away. You've heard that phrase, the 11th hour. Well, this is where it comes from. 100 years ago, the 11th hour, on, at the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month, an armistice was agreed to that would end the fighting of World War I. It took several months, uh, June 28, 1919, to finally have the treaty signed, the Treaty of Versailles. It was officially signed and it officially ended what many people would call the war to end all wars. And so that became Armistice Day, November 11th. And it was celebrated in the United States. It became a national holiday in 1926. Then in 1954, it was changed to Veterans Day to to honor uh, World War II and Korean War veterans. And so this is the origin of Veterans Day. In the war to end all wars, the casualties exceeded 30 million people, 37 million people. Over 17 million people were killed in World War I. And so at that time, it was the greatest loss of human life in any war in all of human history. And as you can imagine, a war of that magnitude, or really any war for that matter, the winners typically want revenge against the losers. And so the Treaty of Versailles was written in that way. It was written in a way so that the losers had to pay for the, 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 the death and the destruction and the loss and the pain that was caused by the war. There was no forgiveness for the losing side. Many historians have concluded that the make-them-pay terms of this treaty, the Treaty of Versailles, set the conditions for the beginning of World War II, at least on the European continent. And so World War II, listen to this, the number of deaths alone during World War II, over 60 million people. 3% of the entire population of the world perished during World War II. Can't, can't really wrap our arms around that. On a global scale, a lack of forgiveness at the end of World War I led to a much worse war just two decades later. But at the end of World War II, something different happened. The winners, most of the winners, chose to help the losers rebuild and recover from the war. There was a sense, in a global geopolitical sense, there was a sense of forgiveness. And today, as a result of that forgiveness, the losers of World War II, Germany, Italy, and Japan primarily, uh, they're free countries. They are places we can go and in freedom. There is a sense of ally and connection between our nation and those three nations. Those nations are free. The end of World War II, because of forgiveness, really in the last 
do the math, 70, 80 years, there's been no war that comes close in death and destruction to World War I or World War II. So on a geopolitical level, forgiveness contributed to freedom. But how about on the personal level? Because geopolitical, man, that's way above my pay grade and most of ours, right? But what about a personal level? Amidst the pain and the suffering, the destruction, the loss in our lives, whether caused by war or crime or broken relationships, illness, other forms of personal tragedy, what role does forgiveness play in our lives? Forgiveness, a quick uh, definition. Forgiveness is the act of releasing someone from a debt or an obligation. So if, if, uh, if you own a home and you have a mortgage and the mortgage company calls you tomorrow morning and says, we have forgiven your loan, what does that mean? You don't have to pay it anymore. <laughs> Who would like that to happen? Forgiveness is an awesome thing, right, when we receive it, whether it's financially, but more importantly, whether it's relationally. Uh, forgiveness is an awesome, awesome thing to receive. The act of releasing someone from a debt or obligation. Can we all acknowledge, though, that it's hard to forgive someone who's taken something from you and won't or can't give it back. A few days ago, I saw someone who had in the past, through their words and their actions, uh, done, uh, done damage to our church family and, and damaged some of my personal friendships and relationships. And so when I saw them, all that junk caused by that person came up, and I began to feel that pain and remember all that happened. And I was thankful that I'd been working on a sermon, a message about forgiveness. All that stuff came back, and, and, and then I felt the Lord say to me, not out loud, but to my heart, to my mind, say to me, Tim, you've forgiven them. You released them from their debt. And so you're free from the pain that was caused. What they had done to this church family, what they had done to me, didn't have to ruin my day or my life. Because I had forgiven them. I had released them. See, one thing about forgiveness is it's a releasing of someone from their debt. It doesn't mean that the pain will never be felt. It doesn't mean that the memories will never come back. It doesn't mean you're unforgiving if you remember or you feel some of that pain. Because you've released them you're not out to get them. You're not hunting them down. You're not trying to make them pay. You've released them. But, but some of that pain and memory will come back from time to time. So we need to remember the definition. Forgiveness is the act of releasing someone from a debt 
or an obligation. So what happens to us, what happens to the people around us, if we are forgiving people? Does forgiveness bring freedom? That's the question we want to explore today. Does forgiveness bring freedom? So we want to look at um, God's word for the answer. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And so we want to look at the truth. We want to look at the word of God. We want to look at what Jesus says about forgiveness so that we will know the truth. As I studied, I really looked at every verse that Jesus, where Jesus talked about forgiveness. So much there, so much that could be said, but there were four principles that really came out to, to me as I, as I looked at these verses. So let's go through those uh, quickly. Principle number one, forgiveness opens the door to freedom. In Matthew 18, verse 21, we read about a time when one of Jesus' disciples asks him about forgiveness. It was Peter. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? What a great question. Peter's asking this question. How forgiving must I be? Have you ever asked God that question? How forgiving must I be? That person, uh, how forgiving must I be? And Peter had this sense of, I need to be forgiving, you know, maybe seven times. Maybe that's enough. What do you think, Lord? Seven times I forgive, and then the eighth, pow, I let him have it. And so Jesus responds to Peter's question with a principle and a story to explain the principle. Matthew 18, verse 22 through 27, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, and here's the parable, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And 10,000 talents in today's dollars is $6 billion. B, billion with a B. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all sold into slavery, and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knee, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Of course, that would have been impossible anyway. But that's what he said. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debts. How would you like to owe somebody $6 billion and they call you on the phone and say, you know what? You don't have to pay it back. I know you don't have it anyway, so you're free. You're released. That'd be amazing. Now, in this passage, I want to share two points that Jesus makes. He makes a lot about forgiveness, but two points I want to share. First, he tells Peter, there should be no limit to forgiveness. Peter, you say seven, I say 77. One, one uh, translation says Jesus said seven times 70. That's 490. Basically, Jesus says, don't bother counting. 
our you, our um, forgiveness needs to be limitless. So how forgiving must I be? There must be no limit to my forgiveness. And what that means is at the heart level, I must be a forgiving person. Not just at the action level. I can't act in forgiveness, but in my heart not be forgiving. So forgiveness is to be a way of life more than an action to be counted. If you're counting, if we're counting how many times we've forgiven someone, we're missing what Jesus is saying. Forgiveness is to be a way of life more than an action to be counted. Second point Jesus makes is that God's forgiveness is limitless. The king in the parable represents God, and the king desires to forgive the debts of all his servants, and the one who had this great debt that could never be paid the king forgave him. Notice the king didn't reduce the debt and say, you know what, I'll, I'll knock off five billion, but you have to work for that last billion. He just forgave the whole thing. God's forgiveness is limitless. The king forgave the debt and set the servant free. Now, the man... So what happened next? Debt is forgiven. The king sets him free. And so what does the man do? He was transformed by the king's actions. He skipped out of the king's chambers and began to tell everyone how loving and forgiving the king was. And the servant began to emulate the king's heart of forgiveness. That's not what he did. It's what he should have done, but that's not what he did. This is what happened? Verse 28, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about $12,000, a lot of money, but not $6 billion. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me now. Pay me what you owe me. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And he said the same words that the man who was choking him said to the king. He said, have patience with me and I will pay you. But the servant who was owed the money, he refused and went and put him, put this other servant in prison until he should pay the debt. I don't know how you pay off a debt while you're in prison. Not quite sure how that works out. So it seemed kind of dumb to put him in prison, but that's what he did. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not have had and should you and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The forgiven servant was not transformed by the king's forgiveness. His heart remained hard and selfish, and so he was put back in his prison cell. And then in verse 35, Jesus explains the reality of the situation. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what is Jesus telling us? He tells us that God's limitless 
forgiveness opens the door of the prison cell that we're trapped in because of an unpayable debt we have that we owe to God. But he also tells us that if we do not allow God to transform us, we will remain in our prison cell and never walk through the open door to freedom. So think about it. You're in prison, certainly for something that you, wasn't your fault and you didn't do, but you're in jail. And somebody comes and they open the door and say, you are free to go. What are you going to do? Be like, woohoo, out the door as fast as you can. But what happens when God forgives us and we don't allow his forgiveness to transform us? It's like the prison door is open and we say, not so fast. I kind of like my prison cell. Kinda, I'm kind of in control here all by myself. And so we don't step out into freedom. So forgiveness opens the door for freedom. But God has to transform our hearts. We need to allow God to transform us so we step out into that freedom. Principle number one, our forgive, uh, principle number one, God's forgiveness opens the door to freedom. Principle number two, our forgiveness opens the door to freedom. You know, on the night that Jesus was arrested, all his disciples ditched him. These men were his closest friends. His, really, they'd become his family. And in his darkest moment, they ditched him. And the next morning, when he was tortured and murdered, only one of his disciples was anywhere close to the crucifixion site. And listen to what happened a few days later. And uh, Bradley, Bradley is going to help me out. Okay, this is Bradley Toth, and he's part of the um, Bible quizzing team, and he's been memorizing John 20, verse 19 through 23. So he very confidently is going to read what he knows, or quote it, yeah. Bradley's going to read for us John 20, verse 19 through 23. All right, you're on. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Yeah! Woo! You can take that. That is awesome. So we talked a little bit about uh, scripture memory last week, and uh, Dan and Sherry Toth lead the Bible quizzing team, and you see what they're doing there. That is awesome. Can you imagine what he's going to know by the time he's 18? Woo! I better watch out. Okay, so, so we just read about what Jesus said. So the context of these verses is that Jesus, he's risen from the dead, He's come to his followers and he speaks to them. He tells them three things. I'm sending you to do what I have been doing. That's the first thing. The second thing is receive the Holy Spirit because we know without the Holy Spirit, we can't do what Jesus has called us to do. And number three, he says, tell people 
how they can experience forgiveness for their sin. So when Jesus said, if you forgive, he was saying, if you, if you show them my forgiveness. So if we forgive someone, we are showing the love of Jesus to the person we are forgiving. And that love will draw them closer to Jesus. So when we forgive someone, it opens the door for them to experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and to be set free through a relationship with him. Our forgiveness opens the door for freedom. Early one morning, a man, man named Matt Swetzel, he was a fireman, he was, had done a 24-hour shift, he was driving home, he'd only had 30 minutes of sleep, and he fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, he, he left his lane, he crashed into another car, uh, a woman named uh, June Fitzgerald, and her unborn child were killed in the car crash. And June's husband, he was a youth pastor. And so he was obviously experiencing grief. And he grieved with his family, his friends. He also grieved with uh, the teenagers that were in his youth group. And one day as they were talking and praying, one of the young ladies in his youth group said, you know, I, I can't help but think about how the man who caused the accident must feel. And so Eric said to her, said to the group, you know, you're right, and we should pray for him. It was his opportunity to practice what he had been preaching. It was his opportunity to demonstrate the forgiveness that he had taught his students about. And in this article that describes the story, he's quoted as saying this, you forgive as you've been forgiven. And he's referencing Luke chapter 6, verse 37. He said it wasn't an option. If you've been forgiven, then you need to extend that forgiveness. And that forgiveness that Eric extended to Matt turned into a friendship. And it's been going on since. Now it's been six years and they go to breakfast or lunch twice a month, and they attend church together. You know, Matt expected, as we probably all would, Matt expected Eric to hate him, but Eric forgave him. He loved him, and he became his friend. And Matt said, I can honestly say that without this friendship, I don't know where. I would be. When Eric forgave Matt, Matt was set free to experience all that God had for him. Principle number two, our forgiveness opens the door to freedom. Principle number three, forgiveness encourages love. Jesus was constantly forgiving people. He still is constantly forgiving people. He's constantly forgiving me. And back when he was walking on earth, the incarnation, fully God, fully man, um, the religious leaders were ticked off because Jesus forgave everybody. 
They believed that to be loved by God, they had to do good things. People had to do good things to demonstrate their love for God. And then once they demonstrated their love for God, God would love them. And so the equation that the religious leaders of those days and a lot of folks today have is, if I do enough good things to show my love for God, he will love me back. Have you ever experienced that, felt that, seen people living that out? If I do enough good things for God, he will love me back. One day in a conversation with one of those religious leaders, Jesus had a conversation, or or Jesus corrected this equation. He said this in Luke chapter 7. A certain, he, he paints a picture. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, had, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, Simon, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. What is Jesus telling us in this passage? When he corrects this equation, this is the equation Jesus gives us. God forgives us, and when we recognize how much he has forgiven us, we begin to love him. God forgives us, and when we recognize that, we begin to love him. You see, Simon didn't think he needed to be forgiven. He's a good guy. He's a really good person. He's doing all the religious things right. And, but Jesus was telling Simon, if you don't recognize that you need to be forgiven, then you won't really love God. And if you don't love God, you won't be transformed by his love. So principle number one, God's forgiveness opens the door to freedom. Principle number two, our forgiveness opens the door to freedom. Principle number three, forgiveness encourages love. And principle number four, Jesus gives it all. Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus forgives it all. Jesus didn't just teach forgiveness. He lived it. In fact, he died for it. In Luke chapter 23, a picture of what happened on the day Jesus was crucified. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. On the cross, as Jesus died this horrible death, he uttered those famous words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And Jesus wasn't just talking about the Roman soldiers who had nailed him to the cross. And as Jesus was dying, they're gambling to try and see who would win his clothes. He wasn't just talking about forgiving the religious leaders who had turned him over, turned Jesus over to the Roman government so he could be crucified. He wasn't just talking about Judas, who is one of his disciples who had betrayed him and turned him over to the religious leaders to be turned over to the Romans to be crucified. It wasn't just all of those folks. When Jesus said those words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, he was looking into the future. 
is looking at me. Father, forgive Tim. For he does not know what he's doing. And he's also looking at all of you. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. How forgiven are we? How forgiven are we? On the cross, Jesus paid the debt we owe God that we can't pay ourselves. And because of his payment, the Father releases us from our debt. We are released from our debt that we owe God. That's way more exciting than the mortgage company calling and say, you are released from your mortgage. Man, you would be on Facebook in a second if that happened, amen? Or Instagram or whatever y'all do. I learned a new one, it's called Signal. Anyway. That's how forgiven we are. Beyond what we can even imagine. A forgiveness that extends into eternity. Jesus forgives it all. Forgiveness, it can be very hard to forgive, can it? To release someone from a debt. You know, some people don't deserve to be forgiven, do they? Their sin against you or me is so horrible, and they won't admit that what they've done is wrong. They've caused so much pain that there's a need in our flesh to cause them pain. They've caused pain in my life. They need to feel some pain in their lives. Didn't some famous person say, revenge is sweet? That sounds really good sometimes, doesn't it? Make them pay. Forgiveness is hard. But think about this. What would have happened if Jesus had not forgiven us on that cross on that day? We don't deserve to be forgiven. What if he hadn't forgiven us? We would, be still, we would still be slaves to our sin. We would still be trapped in our self-made prison cells. We would not be free. You know that person who has harmed you, who owes you a physical or an emotional, or a mental, or a relational debt. You know that person. And you know that Jesus went to the cross for them. Jesus paid for their sin that has harmed you, and because the debt has been paid, there can be forgiveness. As hard as it is to forgive someone when they've hurt us deeply, something miraculous happens when we forgive. This is what happens. We are set free. They never, as one pastor told me, uh, they will never live rent-free in your mind ever again if you forgive them. 
We are set free. We can experience in a deeper way the forgiveness that comes from God. See, when we are unforgiving, we put an obstacle between us and God, between us and Jesus. We put an obstacle in that relationship. The other miraculous thing that happens when we forgive is the person who is forgiven is set free to experience the love and the grace that comes from God. Think of, the, of Matt and Eric. Eric forgave Matt, and Matt was set free to experience a relationship with Jesus. No one deserves our forgiveness. And we don't deserve forgiveness either. And that is why forgiveness is such a beautiful demonstration of God's love and His grace. When we forgive, we are a reflection of the love of Jesus and God's amazing grace. So my hope this morning is that through God's word shared here today, our hearts will be set free from unforgiveness and we will choose to be forgiving people. Jesus has forgiven us. As we recognize that forgiveness, our love for him will grow. And as our love for him will grows, our freedom to forgive, our freedom to forgive will grow. And as we forgive others, releasing them from those physical and emotional and mental and relational debts they owe us, they then are free to experience the forgiveness that God has for them. So does forgiveness bring freedom? Forgiveness sets us and others free. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to the podcast now, and for more info, including sermon outlines, visit our website at www.kurtlandchristian.org.